I hear that you like to sing and karaoke is your thing. What? No, that has to be some joke, really. Who said that? I need to know who said that. Oh, I can't possibly reveal my sources, Carly. I remember um, that was the first time I met Michelle Mouton as well. Uh, she was one of the judges and we were having a lunch break on one of the driving days and uh, we walked into the lunchroom and, and she walked up to me and I was so starstruck. I just, for the first moment, I didn't do anything. <laughs> just stood there. So much so that then she introduced herself to me and told me her name. <laughs> and then I felt like a real idiot because then I was like, oh no, now she thinks I don't, don't know who she is. And oh, <laughs> so I was trying to backtrack and like, yeah, yeah, I know, I know who you are. It's very nice to meet you. And um, yeah, I still remember that like it was yesterday. Welcome to WRC Backstories, our exclusive World Rally Championship podcast presented by Bex Williams. Hey everyone, welcome back to the WRC Backstories podcast in the week where the WRC returns to action at Rally Croatia. It's been a little while, hasn't it? Well, no worries, we will all get our fill of competitive action this weekend. For episode two of this series, we are chatting to a man who, like myself, talks for a living. Only his chat is heavily relied on by Thierry Neuville to guide him through stages as quickly as possible within the shortest space of time. His words need to be perfect across every single kilometre. Belgian co-driver Martijn Vidarga stepped up to WRC level at Rally Monte Carlo 2021 after just a few days notice. He walked away with his first WRC podium alongside Neuville. But there is far more to Martin's story than the epic 2021 season, as you're about to find out. It's always great to have more co-drivers on the Backstories podcast. And today, I'm joined by a co-driver who has, potentially for me and many others, the most difficult name to pronounce in the championship. <laughs> I'm going to give it a go right now. I've got eye contact with Martin, so I can see if I can get it right. Martin Vidaga. How does that sound? He's giving me the A-OK, the A-OK, yeah. which is good. Martin, it's really great to see you. Thank you for joining us on the podcast. We've been talking about doing this for a little while, haven't we? Because I know you've been listening to the podcast, but it's going to be great today to, to find out your backstory. Are you ready to share your life today? Yeah, yeah I'm fully ready. And uh, I'm, I'm very honoured to be on your podcast because I'm listening since the first one you, you published uh, I think it's now two years that you started, yeah. three years even. So, uh, yeah, it's an honor to be here. No, oh, thank you very much for that. Yeah, we started them in 2020, just before coronavirus decided to take hold. That's when we started the podcast and they turned into being little half an hour things that I did on event to then these big mammoth one hour, one hour and 30 chats with people because no one had anything else to do during during the COVID lockdowns other than than talk about their lives. And, and that's kind of the way it's gone so far. So where are you in the world right now? Uh, actually, I'm in Belgium for the moment. Um, I'm actually moving between the two homes that I have, uh, one in Andorra and one here in Belgium. And I'm still setting up everything over there. So, uh, yeah, I'm on off between Andorra and Belgium. So, uh I, ch I choose the, the right moments to come here because the weather is not always so good. So, uh, but now it's perfect. So it's good to be at home. 
you're lucky and we're, we're hoping the weather is going to be good in Croatia as well next week because I think on some of the tests there was a little bit of snow around yeah, which was quite yeah, incredible had, did you get snow yeah we had snow in the morning that we uh, were supposed to test but then we postponed it for two days because yeah testing in snow conditions uh, we have done already Monte Carlo this year so one time isn't it yeah, exactly. And Sweden is in the bag. We don't want any more snow now. We want a bit of sunshine, definitely. Now, I've been looking back at, at st- some of your statistics and, you know, we've kind of seen each other around the service park for many years because you've been around within various classes within WRC for quite a long time. And maybe a lot of people, you know, don't know that. You know, I think I look back, was it 2013, 14 was one of your first WRC events in Alsace? Yeah, 2013. Yeah, right. and you know that's quite incredible. And we've kind of seen each other around the service park, and you're such a nice guy that you always come over and chat with everyone. And it's been great to kind of get to know you on on the surface, and then boom, you're thrown in at the massive deep end with Thierry at the start of of 2021, and that's when we kind of got to know a little bit more about you. But still, with all these COVID restrictions, actually getting to know people is is really difficult, isn't it? And I think that's what I found with with people like yourself, with with Kali Rovenpera, who stepped in, you know, into WRC in 2020 and then had his season cut short by everything. It's been difficult to get to know people in these times. So I'm glad we, we get to do this today. So tell me a little bit about where it all came from for you back in your your, your kind of childhood days, which unfortunately for me looking at your stats is not that long ago you were born in 1992 for goodness sake come on you're practically a baby still <laughs> exactly i still feel like this even when i'm turning uh, 30 this year uh, oh if i think about it it's it's absolutely mad i mean uh, i start to have gray hair and i'm not ready for this number three um but anyhow i still feel uh, very young and uh, I hope to feel uh, still a long time like this. But actually, I'm the youngest of three kids in my family. And um, my brother and my sister are 10 and 14 years older than me. Yeah. Um, so back in the days, my brother started to be interesting in, in motorsport. And uh, so it was normal that they, that they went to the rallies with him and, uh, and start to watch and spectate some uh, local events close to our home. And... Um, like this actually the passion for the motorsport started and uh yeah it's still there (laughs) (laughs) i'm glad it's still there uh now normally and and i am going to ask you this question because i ask everyone but i know because you listen you've probably prepared the three words to describe your character i know Callie Uh, did what about you (laughs) i was i was thinking a little bit about it but i think it's very important that everything is coming uh, spontaneously. So uh, I think um, I'm dedicated, yeah, um, motivated, and uh, yeah, just happy. Yeah, happy is a good word, isn't it? You know, Callie picked that one out as well. Um, you know, happy, and it's one of the words I used to describe myself when when somebody interviewed me for a podcast last year and pulled the same trick on me with the three words. And I definitely totally get that vibe from you. You're such a relaxed character, and we'll, we'll get, go into more detail the potential stress you were under at the start of of, um, of last year. But you seem like a really cool, calm head. Now you said you were the youngest of in your family yes 
Yes. Uh, you know, motorsports obviously come through, as, as you said, with, with your brother. But was it always rallying or was it just motorsport yeah, yeah. in general? No, it actually it started with cycling. So it's a little bit the same approach because mm. I, I, I found a lot of things that are matching uh, in between the two sports. And then uh, it went from two to four wheels, uh, only rally. The circuit didn't interest me so much at the beginning or when I was younger. Now it's growing a little bit more, but still uh, rally is, is the most important for me. And um, I think I was around yeah, six, seven years old when I saw the first time uh, a rally. Wow. And then I was uh, around 10 years old. It was uh, 2002 or 2004 when I sat for the first time in the rally car. A very yeah cheap uh, gypsy <laughs> rally car actually but it has it had the roll cage and uh, it was it had 110 horsepower or something like that but this was the, the first real uh, um, impression from a rally car and and since that it was still 10 uh, 10 years waiting before i could go in the rally car or maybe eight years but this time yeah. was really long because i i would I, I like to to start as soon as possible, but in Belgium it's not so easy to 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 start at the age of fourteen, like in, in other countries as possible. So uh, I needed to wait a little bit more long time. Yeah, you know, we, we've just obviously spoken to Cali Robin Pera on the podcast, and he was talking about you know actually having his first experience kind of behind the wheel, properly driving at eight years of age on on farmland at home, and you kind of. It was hard to compute that in my mind, you know, at that age, I was, I can't even remember what I was doing, but I wasn't in control of a vehicle, that's for sure. That's, that's quite incredible, but it, it's so amazing, isn't it? Some countries, you know, like, you know, a lot of people have competed in Latvia because the age is lower to compete. It, it, I think it's a good thing, especially if you want to head into motorsport itself. So when you're growing up, you're going to rallies at, at an early age, you're seeing all of this and obviously you're, you're doing your school stuff and everything that we all do when we're that kind of age. When did it kind of pop into your mind to think, well, actually, I could I could I could do this as a, as a profession when I'm older? Was it at that young age or did you just not even think about it, just do it for fun at that point, spectating wise? Actually, this, this come a little bit later, around 2007, 2008, because then my brother was competing in the Fort Fiesta Sporting Trophy in Belgium, which was actually everywhere in Europe. They, they yeah. had a sporting trophy with Fort. And uh, it was also the moment that Thierry started his career, actually, with, with the national team of Belgium, also in this Fiesta Sporting Trophy. And, and yeah, it was really set it up very well, this championship. And... Uh, I had uh, I had some job to do, like going to the finish and give some water uh, at, the, at the guys and uh, give the, their times compared to the other ones. And actually, from there on, I was analyzing everything and everybody. And after the rally, I started to watch the onboards because always the promoter gave me like a DVD yeah. so I could watch all the onboards. And I started to make my analyze. Ah, this guy is doing like this, and maybe I can do better. And you know, I started to think about it, and then. Actually, in one day, I decided, look, I want to do this also. I'm still too young, so uh, let's go cycling first to, to have this kind of uh, competition and um, this feeling with, with uh, like a real sport. And then yeah. uh, as soon as I was ready to, to go for my license, I did it. And uh, it was going very fast uh, since, since <laughs> 2010, 12. And so, yeah, actually, it was yeah, around the age of how old was I? Yeah, 14, 15 years old when I said, 
okay, this is my target. And I start to work on it from now on. And uh, one goal is be a professional in WRC and uh, has it like this. But has it always been in the co-driving seat or was yes, there? T- yes, ne- yes. Yeah. Never, never time behind the wheel did other than obviously when you when you said you jumped into a car but was yeah. that in was that in the co-driving seat as well not yeah co-driver seat yeah They're always I, co-driving I had, I had no ambition i still don't have ambition to, to drive myself i like the different kind of jobs a co-driver has and the control that they have and uh, taking care of, about a lot of things and maybe i discovered already at that age that yeah, that I was able to to handle all these kind of things, and uh, yeah, also I didn't have the opportunities to to drive or to karting or to something like that because yeah, I was occupied by the schoolwork. I was cycling, so I had to choose what I what I wanted to do. So mm. I was running out of time if I wanted to do everything. But uh, yeah, actually from the beginning, it was I was sure that I wanted to be a co-driver and not a driver. Yeah, it's so interesting because there's so many co-drivers that 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 say that you know that they weren't interested in the driving at all I remember having a great chat with Phil Mills who was co-driver to Petter Solberg for so many years world champion and he was really fascinated in cartography and, and maps and the study of maps and that's potentially what he would have gone on to do had he not you know been a co-driver that you know he loved that element of of guiding trying to find their way around the world and Obviously, technology's moved on quite a pace, but, you know, map reading was a huge thing for him. And Yamo Leitonen was exactly the same. It was always fixed co-driving in his head. And it's interesting what you said there about, you know, you analysing, getting all that data back, and you're very analytical. You sound incredibly sensible, Mr. Vidaga. Were, I, bet, I bet you were brilliant at school, weren't you? You're an A-grade student. Tell me I'm wrong. Let's say that I, when I, when I was putting just a little bit of effort, like a little bit of preparation, I could manage to, to have good results. Okay. So I had a lot of time to, to spend for my hobbies, like cycling and then the rally. And also when I went to, uh, to high school uh, from 18 years old and, and until I finished my studies, um, actually the, the, most, the, the, the most priority for me was the rally. And making sure I, I could have a career and next to that I was completing my study so it was 80% of the time I put into the rally and 20% of time into my studies but still I had good results and I managed to 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 finish everything uh, with a good result so I'm quite proud of that because if I couldn't manage my time setting like that um, back in the years then maybe I was not at the, at the position I am at the moment so yeah yeah, I'm what happy did, with this. What did your parents think about it? I mean, what w- did your parents come from a motorsport background first and foremost, or not? Not no. at all. <laughs> not at all. Not no. at all. And they were very scared. And when my brother was starting to do this, so yeah, they were not so happy that I that I did it also. And actually, my second rally, my brother was driving, and I was co-driving for him. So this must have been horrible for my mom. Um, I'm sure that uh, in the beginning of my career, she was crying everybody because she so, she was so afraid. Now it's it's a, the complete opposite, in fact, because I proved that I was able to do it, and she has a lot of confidence now in my drivers, and so it it, it changed a lot. But in the beginning, wow. She had a horrible time, I think, uh, during the weekends when I was on rally, for sure. 
I can imagine she did. You know, I, it, it's hard for me to, well, it, I, I suppose it's not hard to imagine really, but two of you as well, not just you, not just your brother, both of you together going out there and, and competing. I feel for the woman. I hope you've bought her a lot of flowers over the years and treated her yeah, nicely. Yeah. yeah, she deserves I'm it. Still doing, <laughs> still doing it. So. <laughs> That's good. That's good. So tell me about, you, you, you said kind of 14, 15 years of age that you thought, okay, I, I want to kind of take this forward in, into a potential profession. How do you get through that with, with telling your teachers in school, this is kind of what I want to do? Because I know certainly, you know, when I was in school, which is unfortunately quite a long time ago now, um, that really wasn't given much credence. You always had to have... Um, like I originally wanted to kind of go into acting and, and filmmaking and my teachers were really like really don't don't you want to be a lawyer or something you know completely professional how did school react to you wanting to follow that path actually even uh, until the age of 18 I didn't talk so much about it in school because okay. at that time I was still doing the cycling so I was talking about that a little bit but uh, yeah back at home I was just focusing a lot on on this rally and uh, watching on boards every evening um, so <laughs> oh <my> maybe God, <laughs> really yeah maybe this is why I, I will never win the tour of France because I spent too much time uh, after, behind the computer instead of training so uh, yeah but then when I went to high school so from uh, the age of 18 um, actually I was a lot uh, driving with Freddy Loix uh, back at the time and uh, we were testing a lot for Michigan and Skoda yeah. so uh, yeah a lot of days I was not at school so I one day I went to the, to the director of the school and asked look can I have like a special statute that I can miss these lessons and uh, I will I, I can replace the, the dates of the exams because yeah I, I want to do this and this is a big opportunity for me and in the beginning they they didn't agree so much and one time in 2013, when I came back from uh, from Alsace, my first WRC event, uh, I came back at school the Monday. So we finished the rally the, the Sunday. I was back at school uh, the Monday after driving yeah, from Alsace to home. And um, and they say, OK, you can take a paper and uh, a big and uh, we do a small exam. And I say, no, it's no way, because I was not here for two weeks because we did the rally, a preparation rally also, I say. I have no clue where this is going about. Yeah, yeah, but uh, you have to do like all the others. And I say, no, I'm not doing this. If, if you give me the opportunity that I can study for it, then I will make it. If not, mm. uh, I just leave and say, no, you will do it. And actually I just left. I stood up and uh, I went back home. Wow. And I explained this to, to my dad, look what happened. And my dad also was furious. I mean, this was not the deal that we made with school. And uh, he picked up the phone, he called with school, he explained the situation. And from then on, it was never a problem anymore. So I could miss all the days that I needed for the rally and I could choose the dates of the exam. So wow. actually, uh, we managed well uh, in that period. And uh, yeah, this, this gave me a lot of opportunity and time to, to, to practice and, and, and to go to WRC events already. Well, good job for, for standing up for yourself. And I, I think, you know, the, the school were really flexible with you, which is which is good. But you just you just gave me a huge name drop there, which was Freddie Loikes. How did that happen? How did Freddie Loikes discover Mr. Vidaga? Initially, it started with uh, his co-driver at the time was Fred Miklot. 
Yeah. And for me, like threat at that time, it was like, wow, the, the biggest co-driver of Belgium at that time, they were competing in ERC. They were doing very well with Skoda Motorsport. And so, uh, yeah, they were winning a lot of rallies and, and good results during the year. And one day I asked my dad, uh, look, maybe I should go to him and, and ask some tips and tricks. And so my father drove me to, to the place of, of Fred. And uh, I started to ask to him and he explained me and he was giving me some uh, notebooks to write on. And uh, actually it started like that. And uh, then I get in touch with uh, Pitjan Michiel Krakow. It's uh, a young guy. Um, and yeah, he became actually my friend. And then one day, it was the 15th of August in 2013. At six o'clock in the morning, I got a phone call. and. Uh, it was Fred Miklot who called me. Look, Martin, we have a problem. We have a co-driver that will do the rally of Staden. It's in my region. It's uh, 20 minutes from my place. And uh, his co-driver uh, went to the hospital because uh, they are um, they have a baby or the woman was, was just having a baby or something like that. And uh, he said, yeah, you need to be here uh, in 15 minutes. The rally starts in 15 minutes. <laughs> oh, my God. Wow. So... Yeah, I got my license, luckily. So I jumped into my uh, rally overall. I had nothing else, just my overall, my helmet. I went there. I gave the key of my car to somebody from the service crew. I stepped into the car, which was in the park for me, and we had three minutes to exit. So uh, I met there, it was Philippe Krakow, the, the dad of, of this young guy. And uh, he said, look, my, my co-driver has no experience either. Uh, just we, we just make some notes like, a few corners, not every corner is in the notes. So yeah, don't be surprised. And I say, yeah, maybe look, just drive the first round. Uh, there were three stages, just mm -hmm. drive. I will make some pace notes. And then the second and the third loop, we, we can go a bit faster. And we did like this. So I was not reading the notes on the first three stages. I was just watching, making some notes. And then from the second loop on, uh, we were driving faster and, and quicker. And actually we enjoyed so much. And that evening he said, look, uh, I ordered the Ford Fiesta R5 at Timsport. Uh, it was the first one at that time. Yeah. And um, I want to do a WRC event. So uh, I keep you post. And uh, one week later, I think I was preparing to start my, my school again because it was the beginning of September. And he called me, yeah, we have still uh, two hours for the entry of uh, WRC Alsace in, in France. Can you manage? I say, yeah, no problem. So I did the entry of the WRC event and... Yeah, like this, it, uh, it happened. And then um, the father saw that, that I had some potential and he said, look, my son is starting his career also and uh, Freddy Leutsch is his coach and mentor. Can you please join him as co-driver? And this is the moment that I get in touch with Freddy. And uh, since then, uh, since 2013, I was doing quite a lot of testing uh, together with him. And we thought last year's call up to Rally Monte Carlo was was quite a short one. That is no, no, even no, no, shorter, no, no. huh? Exactly. Wow. Exactly. Like 15, 20 minutes, half an hour from putting your overall on to getting into a car. That's quite incredible. And actually, it, it's it's funny to say, but if I didn't wake up at that moment, I'm sure I was not sitting next to Thierry Neuville now because this opened so many doors for me and get in touch with Freddie and then with the national team and so on. And 
yeah, it, this was the real beginning of my career that day, the 15th August of 2013. Wow. That, that's quite some story. Uh, thank you so much for sharing that. That's, that. That is one of the dream stories. And like you say, your world could be completely different right now had you not been awake at that point in time and, and taken the call. It's kind of one of those keystone moments of your life. Yeah, exactly. It changed uh, everything. <laughs> you, you don't realize that at that moment, you just had a fun day with the Porsche, be retired because of the gearbox. But uh, yeah, anyhow, it, it's the beginning of something really special. Yeah, I was looking through the cars that you, you competed in, and obviously there's, there's such a variation, lots of R2s in there, the Fiesta, and then the, that Porsche is, is kind of thrown in there. Um, Peugeot R2s, the Fiesta R2T, there's, there's lots of, you know, R2 categories, uh, but yeah, the Porsche kind of stood out for me because it was in, in the mixture of all of these kind of, you know, smaller cars, and then bang, you're in a Porsche all of a sudden. Tell me what that first WRC event was like for you Rally Alsace I know you touched on it you know you obviously came back to to school after that to to do to do exams or get thrust into exams but you you turn up at a WRC event and it, it's so much different from from the level that you've been competing at what what yeah. does that feel like you know just as just as a normal everyday human being coming into that I think before WRC uh, France in 2013, I have competed in five or six rallies, yeah. all with uh, like gentleman drivers, with real amateurs, and one with my brother, Fiesta R2s, which was more for fun than, than for the competition. Um, yeah, it was a big challenge, uh, I must say, even bigger than, than what I lived last year. Um, but you learn so much from it because you are preparing in a certain way that you think, okay, this will be fine. But then during the recce and so on, you discover, you discover so many things that you did wrong, actually. And, and yeah, I was maybe uh, not experienced enough to make this step, but for sure it gave me a big boost to, to continue the hard work and, and, and prepare much better for the next time. So in that way, it was just uh, yeah you jump with the closed eyes in the cold cold water and you try to get away from it and um at the end we managed because i didn't make any mistake uh, we were always on time and yet during the recce we always find our way we, we just missed one pass because uh, we were stopped by the police on the road section because my driver was driving a little bit too much the line on the road section and you were stopped by the police, so we lost like 15 minutes. And by that time, the, the time window was closed. And uh, um, we didn't know that it was so strict. So we tried to enter, but it was closed. And mm -hmm. so we missed one pass. But yeah, at that time, the, the driver, he didn't care about it. It was just for fun. And he was a real gentleman driver. So that was also good, actually, for me that I could discover the WRC with, with such a type of driver. Uh, yeah. which was more there for the fun than, than for the competition. So we were quite relaxed. We, we had some good time and um, yeah, good to discover WRC like this. Yeah, like you say, it, it's more relaxed. There's less pressure on your shoulders and yeah, you can get used to the way things work, how much more stricter, more regulations there are and, and hoops to jump through. But it must have given you an enormous confidence boost to being able to to walk away from that, knowing that you know you hadn't made any mistakes out there. And crucially, you'd done it. You know, you, you'd been at the event, you'd done your first WRC event. 
tech. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> actually, yeah, yeah, for sure. For, um, for sure. And uh, we were first in the private years category. So I still have a very nice trophy of, of, of this rally. Yeah. Uh, it's one of my most beautiful trophies that I had. And uh, it was also the first time that I met Thierry and Nicolas and 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 even uh, it was the last event of Sebastian Lup. It was uh, his official event. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so before he restart uh, for the three more times, um, but yeah, it was it was so nice to to meet all these people and go into M Sport because he was a, um, a customer there and yeah, it was, it was so nice. But actually, it was even more nice to know that my driver was very happy with my performance and he realized okay this can be a good match with my son. And due to my performance during that event, I was sitting next to a young gun and get in touch with all, all the other people in Belgium. And um, so, yeah, it was a discovery of the WRC, but actually it managed, I managed to prove myself uh, that I was able to, to work very hard and, and to set up a, a real career. So, yeah. <laughs> it, must, it must have been so difficult at the time because that's quite um that's quite a fire to put into your belly to come to a WRC event do really well meet all these brilliant people you must have thought oh, I really want more of this this is what I want in my life how much exactly. did, how much did it fire you up to really I mean you were pursuing your career already but did it give you an extra kind of momentum to to chase after your dreams doing that yes yes of course and I think my reaction the day after on school really showed that I was sure what I wanted to do after yeah. my studies. And because if I didn't enjoy so much that weekend, maybe I didn't stand up in school to say, no, I'm not doing this. I go home. Uh, but I did. And so I think from that moment on, I, I was more confident to, to go in this direction and, and to sacrifice even more my life than, than before. Yeah. And at that point, were your parents 100% behind your, your decisions? I can't imagine how your mum felt, by the way, when you were competing in Alsace. It was, was getting better and better because they, they saw that I was really working for it and, and sacrificed so many other things to, to achieve my goals in, in the rallying. And actually, from my third WRC event, they were so proud that I was on that level, even if it was with the amateur driver, but they were so so yeah amused by this and yeah. uh, actually yeah there were some moments where, where they were not so confident if you had a crash or something like this but yeah they, they start to believe in me and and my my wish to become a co-driver so actually from that point they, they start to support even more and uh, i think it was like this <laughs> <laughs> they, they cannot confirm because they are not here but uh I'm sure that it, it is something like this. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure it is. I'm sure it is. And then, you know, the next few years were kind of a bit of a mix of things for you then. In terms of... Yeah, exactly. Um, not so much competition in 2000, at the end of 2013 and 2014, um, because I, I was then with the son of this gentleman driver, um, but we, who was not so ambitious as me. Um, so from my side, it was a little bit frustrating um, to sit at home and see the other guys competing. So I was searching for other opportunities. Um, but yeah, it was not coming immediately. 
And uh, I actually needed to wait until um, the beginning of 2015 um, to have a real proper program for the whole season, uh, which was then with uh, Mats van den Brand. Um, and this, this was also due to Freddy Loix because you know very well the, the father of Mats, they were competing uh, each other uh, in the 90s. Yes, so, in the 90s. Back again, it's like I met so many people in the beginning of the career and and they believed in me and this I'm still very thankful to them because um, without all these connections, it's impossible to achieve uh, this level. So, uh, um, yeah, 2014 was a, a year a little bit off, um, but I was still testing a lot with Freddy, um, at Michelin and Skoda. So, uh, I didn't spend so much time at school again. <laughs> uh, but then 2015, yeah, was, was, we started yeah, the, the real job then with the full program in WRC. And, uh, and yeah, all the other years, we know very well how it, how it happened. So. <laughs> but look, you know, looking back through those years in the build up to you actually sitting alongside Thierry, what would you say? Um, was there a particular year that there was like the, a big learning curve for you? Was there a particular event which you kind of walked away from thinking, oh, I've learned that there, I'm, I'm going to do things differently? Or did anything stand out or was it just ticking along quite nicely? No, actually, from every event you are learning and still now, there are events where I see some things, ah, we can improve there or the team can improve there. Or yeah, or, yeah the preparation at home can be different. Um, but the season in 2015, you know, the drive DMAC trophy, the competition is very high. And both uh, Mats, my driver, and, and myself, yeah, not the biggest experience. Um, but we were able to fight against the, the top drivers at that time. And um, because my preparation uh, compared to the first WRC event in 2013, and then in 2015, my preparation was, was so different already. And we made very big steps uh, during that season. Um, so actually 2015, like competing a full season in the, the Drive DMAC trophy mm -hmm. uh, with Phil Short as a, a coordinator, ah, it's amazing. This kind of people have so much knowledge how they have done it uh, back in the days. And, they shared it with so much passion and uh, yeah. this is a real good school and um, I really believe that that this uh, junior academy is, is the best way to to learn how to to become a top driver or a full-time uh, factory driver it's it's really for me the, the the best way to do it yeah I fully agree with you I think you know the junior championship over the years and in its many different guises the WRC academy when it was drive DMAC you know, there's this camaraderie between everyone all together who are going for a, a common purpose, and that is to go further in, in their careers. And you mentioned Phil Short there, and, you know, I've known Phil for over 20 years now, and he blows me away. His knowledge and absolute passion, but his, for me, it's his want to share that knowledge because a lot yes. of people know a lot of things, but they're, they're not, they don't share, they don't help out so much, but you get someone like Phil who is all about moving people on and he does it in such a nice way, but he can also be very, very firm as well. You know, he doesn't take any messing, even though yeah. the junior championship sometimes can seem from the outsiders a little bit of fun, maybe it's so serious. And the guys take it very, very seriously indeed to, 
to propel talent forward. It's it is such a good stepping stone. You're right. And you look back at how many, you know, great drivers have come through and co-drivers have come through the academy. Yeah, also, also the co-drivers. It's 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 very important to mention this. This also yeah. for the co-driver, this is a massive opportunity because the people of the WRC world are watching you. Yeah. And uh, this can open a lot of uh, opportunities and open the doors to, to step on. Um, so, yeah, for me, it was very important to perform well and uh, to be thankful to everybody. And um, I think yeah, if we do well in, in this kind of series, um, you can have a good opportunity afterwards. So yeah, uh, th this, this was my goal to, to achieve in, in that season. And uh, yeah. Again, we met some people and they they talk with other people the season after and you make another step. And this is exactly what happened with me. Yeah. Because in 2015, I made, I um, I was working with uh, Davy Patterson from DMAC. Ah, uh, the and legend he, that is Davy Patterson. <laughs> yeah, he is a legend. And he is a legend. Uh, brother, so brother, brother to co-driver Chris Patterson and the amazing Patterson family from Northern exactly. Ireland. Exactly, exactly. And uh, oh, he's so active all the time, and we were like a match from the from the beginning, from the first rally we did. It was like I was always with him, spending the whole weekend uh, next to him and shared the information about the tires and having so much fun. And um, yeah, after the season uh, finished in 2015, I got really quick the confirmation from uh, Mats, my driver, that uh, his career was over. They had. They had not the financial side to back up a second season. And he said, look, if you have a new opportunity, go ahead without me because, uh, yeah, I'm not able to continue. And so, uh, yeah, Davey was the first one to call. Uh, yeah, what's going on? I said, look, it's finished with Mats. I have nothing for next season, so I'm a little bit desperate. He said, I know where something will pop up. And um, during Sweden 2016, a Sunday morning, I got a phone call from uh, from Alain Penas, the team manager in uh, Hyundai Motorsport. He's also Belgian, but we never met before. And really, said, that surprises me that you'd never yeah, met we, before. No, no, wow. I, I knew who he was because yeah. he's the organizer of the Radio Vipers also. Yeah. So I saw him over there, but we never talked. He didn't know my name even. And uh, he said, look, uh, I got your contact details from uh, David Patterson. Uh, he was working uh, together with you last year and um, yeah, he believes in you. And uh, at that time, Hyundai Motorsport was searching a co-driver uh, co for the Hyundai uh, Motorsport Development Program, it was yeah. called, with Korean driver, with Chon Gim. And he said, look, uh, can you come to Alzino this week? We uh, would like to have an interview with you. Say, okay. So I went to Alzino, uh, I think it was the Wednesday after Sweden rally. And I had an interview and I met Shivan Bim, the, the Korean driver, and we were discussing a bit. And uh, they proposed to go to work full time in UNM Motorsport in 2016 and 17. And uh, at that time, I, I was, um, I finished my studies already. I had a, a business in Belgium. And yeah, I need to choose do I stop the business and I, I, I go complete uh, full time for rally? Or... So it was a difficult choice to make. But I, I, I went for it and uh, and yeah, this was my first touch with, uh, with Hyundai Motorsport. And uh, it's, it's again due to somebody you met, somebody you work with and 
you proved yourself uh, that the next step was coming. Yeah. And, uh, I, I, I like this kind of studies, you know? <laughs> yeah, well, I, it, it all seems to, you know, but people who look back at just, when you just look at statistics on a, on a page and you look at your progression, people won't realize the story behind, you know, how you got to where you got to. And I love the tale of, you know, it's massive hard work as it always is. There's always huge effort. But you've made the, you know, a real purpose to go and, and seek people out, like, you know, going to see Fred McClot right at the beginning and get advice. And, and I think it's people, you know, who want to come into the sport in whatever capacity, that is always my advice to them. If you want to, you know, if you want to be a co-driver, if you want to come and be a journalist, go and seek those people out, speak to them about how they got on and tell them your enthusiasm and show them what you're doing to to further your own career it's so important to make contacts in the sport exactly and exactly. your story yeah. is is a huge reflection of that yes and it's you don't have to be afraid to to go to people to talk to them yeah because if you stay at home and you just watch from home i think it's more complicated to achieve something so if you go to the events you go to the people you show that you're interesting that you want to reach something this is the way to do it, I think. Um, yeah, definitely. And, and this is abs absolutely what I what I did in the past, and uh, and I'm still doing like this. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I'm I'm quite proud of this that in such a short time, uh, from 2012 to 2022, in 10 years time, I I made huge steps, and yeah, it's 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 I think it need to show to the people that uh, even when you are just from a small village that you can achieve things like this just yeah. by working hard and, and and try to reach your goals absolutely you can uh, what was the experience like with the Hyundai program and with Chuan Lim how did that relationship work out uh, really good actually uh, um, Maybe it's a little bit rude for me to say this, but living in Alzano was was a bit hard because, uh, <laughs> yeah, the environment over there is is, is not brilliant. Uh, but yeah, that meant that uh, Shawan and me we were living together, and uh, we spent every hour of the day working on the rally, yeah. no practicing, uh, going on the simulator, going to the workshop. Uh, next to that, I was also working in logistics in UNI Motorsport, preparing tests, uh, booking flight tickets for the whole team. So I, I got wow. a really good look behind the scenes how uh, a team like this is, is working. And uh, I had also the opportunity to, to sit in the car with, uh, with Kevin Abring, um, spent a lot of time with uh, Sebastian Marshall, watch his notes. And, you know, I was dealing with my eyes every single day over there when the, the co-drivers uh, were coming i was watching in, into their pace notes uh, i was doing me to crew you know all this kind of small jobs i was doing during the two years but, were you in the kitchen as well by any chance because <laughs> um, you were doing everything <laughs> not really maybe it's the only thing that i that i was not managing but uh, all the rest i all the little small jobs i, I was yeah. doing and yeah it's it's so nice to to see what happened behind the scenes and uh, you have people that that um, they think they are too good to do this kind of things like going on the stages as a major crew but it's a part it's of the job it's a part of the game and 
you need to to do these things before you can step up to to your dream job so uh, yeah. i really enjoyed it and and i learned so much from it i i fully attest to that it's you you need to do a bit of everything i think it's so important to get a good grounding in in how the team works i mean okay, right now you're in the prime of, of your co-driving career, but thinking more to the future, when you look at people like Kyle Lindstrom, Yamo Leitinen, for example, you know, fantastic co-drivers when they were doing that job and have now moved on to huge positions in Toyota. Um, exactly. You know, it, they were the kind of, similar to you, had such a massive work ethic and did so much to propel themselves forward, but had a grounding on what was going on around them. And, you know, it's only going to help you knowing how everything works it is only exactly. going to help you because the moment you need to step up on the last minute decision like what happened last year yes you know more or less how everything is working at that level you know what kind of preparation you need to do so in fact it's a, it's a really good preparation to be ready to jump in when the call is coming yeah so i think i have done all the steps uh, over the over the the years before 2021 to get ready to jump in and I think almost every box I ticked off but uh, maybe some are missing but uh, well, yeah we I, we I was quite to, well prepared. We need to get you into the kitchen, obviously at Hyundai, so you can get that ticked off as well. Now you were with Chuan Lim, but also you were doing some co-driving for. Tamara Molinaro, and you jumped in with Craig Breen for, for Rally Monza, I think, 2019, and one other rally as well. I got in touch with Tamara <laughs> because okay. I know you two have a fantastic friendship. And yes. um, she, she said some lovely words about you, actually. She says he is the best co-driver out there. And I mean co-driver and an incredible friendship for the both of us. Um, <laughs> who else would give you a friendship Valentine's Day card <laughs> on the 14th of February during a rally for their driver? Only Mr. V-Dog would do that. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me how you met Tamara. How did that partnership start? Um, like a lot of things starts now, Instagram. Yeah. I, I think in 2017 or 16, I, we start to follow each other and you like some posts and you are talking a little bit in between the events and then uh, you see each other on an event. And um, I think the first time we really spoke was in uh, early Germany, 2017. I was there with Siobhan and Tamara was driving with the, with the Opel Adam R2 with uh, Veronica Engan. And uh, I think we, we had a little chat at the end of the, of the rally. And uh, shortly after this, um, I saw already that our program with Siobhan, yeah, maybe it was, was nearly to the finish. So uh, they advised me also in Hyundai Motorsport, look, uh, there is a problem with the budget and uh, for sure this program will be cut out one of the first things. Um, so I start to look in on, in, into new opportunities. And uh, I got a message from Tamara. Look, I have a last minute call. Again, a last minute call. <laughs> I have no co-driver for the, for the next event. And um, yeah, I say, okay, I will go with you. No problem. And uh, so 
we arrange everything via Instagram, later on with, uh, with WhatsApp. And um, what was the first event that we did? I think it was Lipaya, yes. ERC event. She, uh, she's actually uh, messaged to say, you definitely need to ask him about a shortcut at Rally Liapaya. Was that on that first event? Yes, yes, it was. And I will forward uh, again the question to Calero uh, Vantera. You can ask him also because we were in the same trouble. Uh, as always, before the event, I, I prepare my, my record plan with, uh, with Google Maps or Google Earth. And uh, I saw on their map of the organizer a big loop to go back to the start, uh, from the finish to the start. I say, no way, I will, I will not do this. I mean, there is a shortcut, I can make it. And I watched on the, on the maps and there was a proper road. At least I thought it was like this. So we entered the shortcut and the first couple of kilometers were really nice, it was gravel, but it was okay. And then suddenly the road was finished and we were in the middle of a field full of mud and we got stuck. Like, there was no chance to hesitate or oh, should we go the moment actually the moment we, we made the decision it was already too late we got stuck in the mud and we were there in the middle of nowhere without phone coverage so we stepped out of the car then we had to look around us but the only thing we what we saw was uh, like a field and suddenly we hear a car coming but flat out and he passed us we got the splash of mud and he got stuck also and this was color of ampera who was doing like his first events in, uh, in ERC with the Skoda Fabia. But he had a four by four car. So he managed to get out. He pushed our car because we, we had not the rope or something uh, to tow it. So he pushed our car. And at the end, uh, we could continue our recce. But uh, oh, we have some very nice videos from it somewhere <laughs> on the computer. But it's, it's a good memory. It's a good memory. That is that is a good memory. That's a great story as well. I love that. Do you know what? I have heard something similar. You, you've sparked my mind now because someone else has done something very similar to you, but I can't remember who it is. It'll come back to me in about 48 hours time. I was like, it was him. He did something exactly the same. One final thing before I leave Tamara. She, uh, she, <laughs> uh, this is kind of harking back to the previous podcast now with um, with Callie Rovenpera. She says... Uh, we have a really lovely story of when we did a full Ed Sheeran concert at Rally Sweden. You two singing in the car. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I hope she didn't send you the video. There's a video. Oh, ah. you've landed yourself in it now. <laughs> oh, yes. oh, I think that has to come out. Ed this Sheeran is the kind fans, of, then, both of you. Uh, not a real fan, but at the moment, this song was really popular and. It, it shows really the, the kind of relationship uh, I had with Tamara. We, we were working hard on the stages, but uh, in between the stages and in the preparation, we had so much fun together. And um, I think it was very important at that time of her career that she found back some fun because uh, she had a quite difficult time. She had some uh, events where it was not going well. Mm. And um, yeah. As I said in the beginning of the podcast, uh, the happy Martin was there and uh, I think she, she found back some motivation and, uh, and yeah, we had a lovely time together for sure. <laughs> good, good. Uh, some great stories and I'm sure she's got more. She did say that um, she would need a long time to tell me all of the stories about you. So um, yeah, there, there's plenty by the sounds of things, which, which is good. Yes. She had a really, <laughs> you know, good time together. Uh, 
you know, we've we've been building up to obviously talking about 2021 and and the start of that. But be- before we do that, obviously you moved on the whole Hyundai thing with you on limb that was was coming to an end, and you moved on to well another driver then and another name which is is so familiar in rallying, which is Demevius. Yes. Um... Also, Guillaume in 2018, he had a bit of a complicated beginning of the season. And uh, he was driving with the Peugeot Belgium Luxembourg and uh, the national team of the Belgian Federation. Mm. And it was a combination of bad luck, a crash on the bad timing. And, you know, it it was not going well. And so the management of Guillaume decided uh, to replace the co-driver. And uh, they asked to me if, if I would try one rally with him to see how it goes. Because for me, it was the first time in French pace notes at that time. Um, but I had some experience due to the fact that I was driving with the Chivon for two years. And, uh, and they believed that, that it could have been a match. Uh, so we did the first event. We won together. We did the second event. We had a second place. And... In these two small events, we, we had a very strong relationship already. And um, yeah, we were sure we, we could uh, show the people uh, that it was working well between the, the Flemish guy and, and, uh, and uh, the guy from Wallonia, from the south part of uh, or Brussels, actually, um, the other part of Belgium. And um, so, yeah, this, this was, again, uh, a quite last minute call. Actually, this is a story of my life. Do you know what? <laughs> last I'm going to nickname you last minute. That is going to be your new nickname. Yeah. Uh, because that's incredible. There's so many instances where you have been called up just at the yeah. last minute. Yeah, I think it was, it was one week before the event uh, that they called me. And it was just um, a couple of days before the Rally of Portugal. And I said, look... I have an idea. Let's go to Rally Portugal. I know the event mm. and it's a good opportunity to, to do some pace note training. And we never know if you want to go, go back next year. We have already like uh, some kind of pace notes if you want to compete uh, in the WRC next year. And he found it a good idea. So we went there. We did the recce only. And um, yeah, two weeks later, we were doing the first event in Belgium. And uh, this, this was the first contact with the national team of Belgium. And, and yeah, they, they gave us a full season the year after in 2019. We did the WRC2 program. And um, again, I was back where I would love to be, you know, back in the yeah. WRC, back to be able to show my, my potential to the people. And uh, it was a big relief after um, after the program with Siobhan and the, the couple of one shots with Tamara that I had a proper program again, because this was always my goal, you know, not the one shots, but like a full season with somebody who has potential and, uh, yeah. and try to, to make it to the top. Um, so yeah, this phone call came at the right moment, actually. Another good phone call, another last minute step up, but 2020 comes around and the world changes for everyone at that point. And there wasn't a huge amount of events for people to compete on in 2020. I mean, we all, you know, sat on our hands for for most of that year. And there weren't many events for you in 2020. So talk me through the pandemic for you. What what was the plan for 2020 before everything went wrong? 
the plan was uh, still with Guillaume de Mavis. After 2019, uh, Citroën Racing wanted to continue to support us, um, but not in the WRC, but in the national championship because they were yeah, tried to do a little bit of a different uh, strategy for their customer racing programs. And uh, so we got a full season in, uh, in Belgium. Um, we did the first event, uh, but we had some technical issue. And then we went to the second event, uh, Sparali. Uh, and the Thursday night, the, the evening before the start of the event, um, in Belgium, they, they decided to go in lockdown, like everywhere else at that moment. Yeah. So we left uh, Sparali and we said that to each other, yeah, let's see what will happen. And the first time that we saw each other back was uh, somewhere in September because there was no competition at all. Um, when it started to a little bit more open again uh, from the summer on, I did some testing with, uh, with Craig, Reek and, uh, Craig Green and uh, MRF tires. But for the rest, I was at home. We started just the construction of our house uh, with my girlfriend and uh, I got uh, a very limited salary, um, no job. So it was a very hard time. And then you start to reflect, okay, should I go back to another job who is a little bit more secure or not? Or, you know, we were thinking a lot of, uh, a lot, a lot of things in, in this time, in this period. And um, it was actually my girlfriend that was pushing me. No, don't give up so, far, so quick. And uh, you have worked so hard. So wait a little bit more and be patient. And, uh, and so I tried to find like a very, um, um, like a flexi job here in Belgium. Uh, at the moment that we are, we're doing the construction of our house, the, the, the guy from the electricity said, look, we have plenty of work. If you want, you can come to help us to install the solar panels, panels on the roof. Okay. I say, okay, yeah, I'm just sitting at home. Yeah. I do it. Yeah, oh my exactly, god yeah. oh my god i was so scared every day i was on the roof of the house oh like more scared than an already car no it's, it's a very strange feeling for me but okay it was it was a good way to have a kind of salary and uh and to uh, secure like i was still open for uh, another program in, in the rally that year so yeah. um then we, we finished the, the year with, uh, with Guillaume doing some Bajas because in the championship in Belgium, there was not so much to do. And uh, we did some off-road racing. And uh, yeah, I finished 2000, uh, um, twin, 2020 actually with the idea to go full-time in the cross-country with, uh, with Guillaume from 2021 on. Wow. But, but, <laughs> but, but in the early part of January 2021, when we're all still recovering after Christmas and, and getting ready for Rally Monte Carlo, you had a phone call how many days before the rally got underway? Uh, three days before the start of the recce. Yeah, three Thursday morning, 10 o'clock. days before the start of the recce. Wow. Tell me about that call. That call comes in from Thierry himself. Yes. Okay. And were you surprised to see his name flash up on your phone? Yes, I, I got his number, but we had this very few times contact. Like uh, when there was something from the national team in Belgium, we met each other one time or 
But when I was in Hyundai Motorsport in 2016 and 17, we saw each other on the events when I was doing Meteocrow for him. You know, I was taking temperatures for him and, and sending the information. But next to that, we had not like a, like a relationship. Uh, we were not friends or, um, yeah, we had a few times contact, but not so much. And when you see Thierry Neville is calling me just before Monte Carlo, I thought, okay, it's, it's kind of strange, but maybe it, it is related to, to Monte Carlo because I was supposed to be Meteo Crew again okay. um, on the event. But anyhow, I picked up the phone and uh, he explained me the situation where he was in. And uh, yeah, he asked me the question, do you think you are ready for this? Can you do it? Yeah, of course, I can try to do it. But uh... OK, I didn't hesitate, to be honest. Good. Um, I was confident. I worked so many years for this and I was confident uh, that I was able to cool drive. But okay, it was a lot of question marks also for me, for sure. Uh, especially in this limited time that I had to prepare everything. Uh, the adrenaline must have been pumping immediately, I can imagine. Getting asked to sit alongside Thierry for, for you know, the, the toughest event really on the championship calendar and so difficult for a co-driver. There's so many things to consider other than the, you know, the, the, the firing of the pace notes on the stages there's so many of them because it's so technical but also the collaboration with, with the the crews the the root note crews and there's so much to think about in your head I I, I can imagine if it was if it if you'd been asking me I would have been a bit like you I would have been really cool and gone yeah I can do it no problem and then I would have put the phone down and just gone ah! <laughs> how am I going to do this what did you do when you put the phone down? What was your reaction and, and what did you do first? I, I made a, a quick plan because for sure you cannot prepare this rally as you would like to do. Because normally when you do Monte Carlo, you need at least three, four weeks to, to prepare everything in a correct way. Um, but I make a quick short list what what yeah I could do in this amount of time. And priority was the license. I had no license at that moment. Oh, you're joking. No, no, I'm not. So the first thing that I did after finishing the list was calling to the doctor to do my med medical check for the license. The rest in, uh, in the ASN, they can manage because they know me very well because I was in the national team. So they have all my contact details and so on. So I just went to the doctor and I did the PCR test because it was still mandatory at that time. Yeah. So before I could leave Belgium, <laughs> I went to the lab to do a, a test and uh, was waiting like scary for this result because imagine that it was positive. Then again, it was, yeah, well, this was actually very stressful. But uh, anyhow, and then I, I start to, to receive the pace notes from Thierry. They, they made a scan. I, I start to work on it and... Uh, yeah, I had a very short night, to be honest, because um, like you said, the adrenaline is there. So you want to, to do as, as good as possible. And we start to analyze a little bit the videos from the years before with, uh, with Nicola. And you start to analyze the, the nose that they use and the way how they, they say everything. And, um, and then, yeah, OK, it's very quick uh, Saturday, time to leave. I had a flight at eight o'clock, arriving in uh, 
Nice at 10. And there you see Thierry Neville for the first time and you say, hello, driver, I'm the new, the new one. <laughs> and then we had, again, a very limited time to, to, pair, to prepare with each other and get used to each other. And he explained me uh, just the necessary things because Thierry is somebody who is very organized. And I think he also made a plan the day before, look, this will be my goal for this rally. I know a victory is quite impossible. So let's make also a priority list. What is the most important for me, where we need to focus on. And this I will explain to Martin and the rest is for later. And uh, this worked very well because uh, starting with a small base, actually during the rally, we were increasing this package already to a big package and and, and to, to finish the rally already with uh, with a different approach than, than we actually started the, the event. So, um, but yeah, quite uh, a surprising uh, Thursday morning, let's say. <laughs> Very surprising Thursday morning. And to walk away from that first event together, to be on the podium, to be third overall, that was quite incredible, really. And I mean, I know we interviewed you during the weekend to find out how you were feeling, but I'm guessing that whole week, there was not a lot of time for you to think about everything that was going on because you were so focused on doing your job and making sure everything you needed to do was in place. What was the reaction from yourself? How did you feel afterwards when it was complete? That Sunday, you're, you know, you've crossed over the podium, everything is done, all your time controls are done, you can throw away your time cards, you're on the podium of Rally Monte Carlo. How did that feel for you? Actually, I, I would like to go back one time to this Thursday, to this actually the Friday morning, because they uh, they said to me, "Look, at nine o'clock we will announce that uh, that you will replace Nicolas as school driver for Thierry." Yeah. And I said, "Look, if you want to reach me, contact me by email, because I switch off the phone and everybody need to leave me alone now, because I knew in the small world of motorsport." This was a bomb, like, y yes. what is happening now? And uh, so, uh, yeah, we were clever enough to, to switch off everything and um, so I could focus on the job. And this focus I kept during the whole week because there were a lot of questions coming and a lot of, uh, a lot of people coming to Hyundai, but also Hyundai, they, the, the, the PR people, they managed very well to protect me from, from all the rest. And, uh, there were only a limited people that could make an interview uh, like you did with me. And uh, um, so this helped me a lot. And then after the finish, you know, the last time control and uh, in the harbor of or the port of, of Monaco, it's like, wow, you, you, you cannot imagine how tired I was like mentally. Not physically, physically, this was quite okay. But mentally, I was like finished, completely finished. I, I couldn't think anymore. Like uh, uh, I can remember an interview with uh, some Belgian journalist after the time control, um, in between the time control and the podium. And I, I said, look, don't ask too many questions. It's better to do it tomorrow because I, I cannot think anymore like in a clear way because yeah, what a week. <laughs> all this yeah. pressure and you you stay calm but then even when everything is finished it's still like overwhelming everything and uh, and uh, i could just still 
like uh, enjoy the podium uh, ceremony with uh, you know you are standing next to next to Thierry next to Roger next to Elfen and you get the champagne show and you you still have some energy energy to to enjoy this moment but actually you start to realize only one week after what, what actually happened when you see the the pictures the videos uh, I was rewatching like some TV coverage to see how I was doing and then you start to enjoy but at the moment you you yeah you cannot enjoy so much and what was the well first of all how many messages did you have on your phone when you eventually switched it back on <laughs> I, I cannot I cannot uh, I have not uh, the number in my mind but it was was huge like I bet. I bet. huge still at the end of last year when I was scrolling back for like the the, the new year wishes I yeah. saw some messages that I didn't watch from uh, from uh, January so <laughs> it was a huge amount but uh, yeah sorry to the people that I didn't answer but at that time, my priority was to do to do well and and, and to do well during the whole season. Mm. So, yeah, I, I protect myself a little bit from from the outside at the, at the moment. You're right, though. It was a you know it was a bomb in in, in the motorsport world. We in the in the rallying world, none of us were expecting it. And when it happened, it was so. I think you did the wisest thing by switching your phone off. In, initially, was the deal just for Rally Monte Carlo? What was what was the setup at the beginning? What did Thierry say to you? We do one event and see how it goes, or did he promise you some more? No, the intention was to, uh, if everything was going well in the first event, to continue. But for sure, it was depending my uh, my my performance, um, because uh, this is this this is not a joke. It's not for fun. It's. Uh, it's the highest level in motorsport and I mean in, in the rally sport. So if I was not doing well, uh, I was fired after one event, I think. Um, but uh, yeah, Thierry saw, saw some potential after the first event, which was very difficult for both of us. Um, but he also uh, showed me that that there was like a huge will from, from his side to work on it. And uh, because he had 10 years experience with the previous co-driver, they had their habits and to switch it immediately. Also for Thierry, this, this was a huge, uh, huge challenge and, and maybe even more difficult for him than for me. Um, but he was really open and, and the, the will was there to, to, to make it work. And uh, we put a lot of effort in it. And uh, yeah, quite early after, or quite soon after uh, the event, he, he gave me the confirmation come on, let's prepare Sweden and, you know, gave me a big boost and, uh, and yeah, then quickly we had an agreement for the rest of the season and the future. So, um, yeah, really nice. <laughs> I mean, it was an incredible, when you look back on 2021 for you, what an incredible year because it was consecutive podiums and then eventually getting the first WRC win at home. I mean, you couldn't have had a better season if you'd wanted to. Okay, the championship title, maybe. That aside, getting your first win at home and just the fact that everything went well, it kept going well and the podiums were a reflection of that. Talk to me about, not the difficulties, but um, oh, I don't know how to phrase this. You had to change a few things. I remember Thierry saying some t something with the tone of your voice, your accent, some some words he wasn't quite picking up from what you were saying. How much did you have to adapt to him? Yeah, 
quite a lot. Uh, but in the beginning of the season, you know, the cars and everything, the electronics and the intercom, it was all prepared for, for Nicola, not yeah. for me. So my voice is quite different to the one of Nicola. I have a, a voice with less force also. Um, so I'm quite quiet, actually. Um, so yeah, we had a lot of things to work on, and especially me, because the pronunciation of the, the French words, yeah, he was used to 10 years of collaboration with the previous co-driver. So he was used to hear a word in a, in a, in a different way than I was talking to him. So um, for me, it was more easy to adapt myself than he need to adapt to my voice, you know? Yeah. Um, so I went to the, to the logopedist here in Belgium to, with look, this few words I need to pronounce like this. So I showed the video from Nicola, his voice and, and his pronunciation and, and we start to work on it and I did, a lot of exercise it like it looks sometimes it looks stupid what i was doing here at home like ah a ah like i mean i was making like vocals and and, and all this kind of things yeah but there was a quick progression so um um and then we were also able to do some small events uh, like a small rally in in estonia otipa rally um all this kind of extra trainings that uh, it was an opportunity for us to, to get used to each other and all this kind of things helped to to get quite quick to the to the goal uh, to to what Thierry wanted from my side so um, but it was a hard work I can I can tell you that uh, the first half of the season last year uh, I was watching on boards every single day listening to my voice um, even when I was doing cycling or training, again, this on board and my uh, earpods and yeah, it was nonstop and try to improve and uh, I'm still, I'm analyzing everything because um, I'm still Dutch speaking and not French speaking, even, even though I'm, I'm speaking a lot of French, but still I'm practicing and I try to improve uh, and, and I will continue this because it, it must come like a kind of natural uh, language for me. So, um, yeah, a huge uh, challenge. The languages in Belgium, it fascinates me. So, Martin, give us a bit of a, for people around the world who may not quite understand all of the, the languages that you have in Belgium, because I know originally where Thierry lives, his first language was not French. So he no, spoke German. German. Yeah. Yes. So he spoke German first, which he speaks to us sometimes when we ask for it in, in media zone. So he learned French. Your first language is Dutch or Flemish? Yeah, Flemish. Flemish. Yeah. So, so how many variations? Because Belgium's quite a small country, right? But you have lots of different variations of languages. It's quite incredible. Yeah, actually, yeah we have three parts in Belgium. We have the northern part where they speak Flemish, so where I live, where also Ypres Valley is. Yeah. Then you have the south part of Belgium where French is the, or actually it's like a kind of Belgian French because we have words that in France they don't speak. Like uh, it's a little bit a different French than in France. And then you have the eastern part of, of Belgium. It's very, very small. They, they have like uh, maybe 10 small villages, mm -hmm. but where Thierry is coming from, from uh, saint Vit, and there uh, the language is it's, uh, German. Yeah. Um, so actually, we uh, none of us is uh, 
like communicating in the rally car with our mother language. So that's that's a quite funny story. It like is it's really, like isn't it? Belgium, Belgium in one car. It's amazing. <laughs> yeah, it is. All of Belgium within one car and all the languages. Brilliant. Um, what else from 2021 would you say, other than, you know, for, for both of you, Thierry adapting to your voice, the vocal changes that you've made, how else did you adapt to him and vice versa? Because as you say, for him, it might have been even more difficult because he's adapting to a brand new co-driver after 10 years with Nicola, which is such a long time to be with someone. What other kind of areas would you say that you you both had to work on together? Uh, to be honest, after Monte Carlo, um, very short after Valley, I think already on Monday or Tuesday, uh, we sat together and um, Thierry prepared the document. Look, this is what, what I remarked from uh, from the weekend. Um, this is what I'm used to. So yeah, try to adapt to this and to prepare the, the things in this way. So for me, this, this was quite easy to, to work in the way that, that he was working because uh, like I said, it's more easy for me to adapt than for him to adapt because of the the 10 years that he was working together with Nicola. Um, but there were also some ideas coming from me uh, for him to, to try to, to do some things different, uh, to make it work in between us. Um, but yeah, the most important was, was the language, I think, and, and all the rest felt quite comfortable from the beginning on. Um, yeah, it's... Actually, we had quite quick, a very good relationship, and uh, like maybe it's also helping because I'm quite calm, and yeah, it was like chill all the time, and, and good. But in between us, so um, yeah, he did a lot of effort, you know, to to stay calm in all the situations, uh, even when I was performing, not always like very well he he gave me immediately the feedback look this is what happened try to do something and and then the stage after i was able to to react and and to perform well i i, I still remember this was horrible the stage nine in monte carlo um it was a morning stage uh by Jean Brizier, i think was the name and I was in the darkness and there were so many different conditions of the road and we had so many corrections of the of the gravel crew. And at a certain moment, uh, we had a lot of corners and, and I was five corners in front and Thierry was five corners behind and I was completely lost. And I, I realized, Martin, you are messing it up now. So try to find it back and I phoned back. But at the end of the stage, yeah, we, we had a huge time loss and I knew it was partly my mistake. And um, Thierry stayed calm. He said, yeah, it was not the best performance, but uh, come on, you can do it. And and I had the road section to think about. We did some work on the car. And then we had stage 10, um, where we did our first scratch together. And, you know, this kind of moment I kept in my mind for the first beginning of this, uh, the first part of the season, because in the difficult moments, I was always able to react quickly, to stay calm and look, think about stage nine and then Monte Carlo, you can do it. And, you know, it was all the time pushing myself. Um, 
to to do better and to think about these good moments to uh, yeah to forget the the bad performance sometimes. So yeah, you have to kind of push past it, don't you? I mean, it, I think in every walk of life, whatever you do, something negative kind of stays with you over a positive sometimes, and you can look back on the negative and think of that and think of that instead of you know, that immediate turnaround on the next stage and you get your fastest stage time and that's the positive and that's what you've got to be holding on to and 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 getting better. I mean, I I couldn't quite believe, you know, you know, looking back at Monte Carlo that you guys had got onto the podium because we didn't expect it. We didn't expect it. We thought, okay, it's it's going to be a difficult rally for both of you to adapt to each other and it's such a tough event anyway. And, you know, to get on the podium was, I think, such a, a huge thing. And then, as we said before, more followed. It was just consecutive. It was podiums, podiums. OK, there were the, the downsides in the year. But at what point was there a point in the season last year where you thought, I can relax a little bit here. It's maybe going a little bit better than I expected or not. You know, for me, the, this job is uh, not to relax. Um, I'm not this kind of person. Um, for me, during the season, and actually after the season, you have not so much time to relax. Um, you are doing this with one goal, and it's to be world champion. And um, I think this, this is a limited opportunity that we have. We have not so much time to reach this goal. Um, so I use all the time actually to, to try to perform well and uh, yeah, I do everything for, for this job. Um, and last year, to be honest, the only time that I really relaxed, relaxed was uh, the week after Ali Monza when the season was finished. Just we had a test planned two weeks after Monza. So I had one time off with my girlfriend and I switched off the phone also. We, we didn't talk about rally. We didn't care about rally at that moment. It was just like, now the season is finished. I have done the job. I have proved myself. And uh, we can be happy with the result. Um, but during the season, actually, uh, I never switch off. I My focus is on, on, on the rally. And uh, whenever somebody from the team of my driver or something rally related is calling me, um, even during the night, I will be there to to work on it. So um, this is also what I what I believe is the good approach, and what I also want from from the people uh, back in Alzano that they they push, they work, and uh, because it's the only way to reach our our common goal. It's to be world champion, and uh, I'm. I'm glad that everybody has the same men mentality. So, uh, yeah, for me, this, this is my approach. And so uh, no holidays during uh, during the season for me. Well, to be honest, Martin, there's not a huge amount of time for holidays, is there, with all the testing <laughs> no. as well? There, there yeah. really isn't. Um, talk to me about the highlight of last season then. What, what stands out as the absolute highlight for you? Yeah, for sure, I need to mention Ypres because it was my first win on home soil. So it's quite uh, quite uh, nice to to achieve this. But actually, the highlight for me is still uh, the Sunday in Monte Carlo, you know, being on this podium, uh, this picture. I, I still need to, to print it or let it print and, and put it in, in my my office or somewhere. 
Um, but for me, this is one of, of the highlights. Also Kenya, um, even when the result was not there, um, we were performing so well uh, in, in such a difficult uh, event. Um, it was my first really time. liked Thierry as well, didn't they? Yeah? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Giraffe, zebra, we had everything. It was, and, and it shows the potential for this victory. And, um, and yeah, this, this kind of things were very important for me to, to make sure that it was working, to make sure that uh, Thierry got everything, the car, the co-driver to, to set good results. So, um, this gave me some some rest and and also the the motivation to continue uh, like this. But uh, yeah, Ypres is, is definitely one of the highlights um, um, for all the, the the people that I know that were there. Uh, it was uh, yeah so good. What did the family so think good. of that? Ah. Uh, yeah, very proud. I think everybody, they are very emotional at the end of the event. But uh, in Ypres, it was something else. Uh, my girlfriend was there. Uh, it was the, the first was rally. There. It was the first rally where Odile was coming also. Uh, my friends the were there. <laughs> yes, exactly. So, um, yeah, the, just the package was, was really nice. I, I thought it was impossible to have access to, uh, to uh, the circuit in, in Spa because uh, there was a very limited uh, ticket sale. And uh, so I said, my parents don't come there because yeah, you will never access and it will be complicated. So they gave away their pass that they had to somebody else and uh, they were able to be at the finish. So, and then my, my parents were at home. So I still feel very sorry for them that they, they couldn't uh, be there uh, to join us, join us for, for this moment. But uh, yeah, definitely they are they they are proud of what I'm doing. So um, so yeah, sorry, mom and dad. <laughs> For sure they will listen to this. So uh, <laughs> I need to mention them. <laughs> uh, you know, brilliant last season, and I'm sure there there is more brilliance to come. And you mentioned the fact that you know you're you are kind of on all of the time when it's when it's rally time. In between rallies, you are focused. How do you relax, Martin? There's got to be some downtime. What do you do to, to try and chill out when you are away from rallies? What do you do when you're at home to decompartmentalize things? How do you chill out? Um, yeah, to be honest, this, this kind of things are quite difficult for me because uh, I don't want to miss something from, from my job. Um, so these moments are very little um but i i can enjoy like uh yeah just spending uh some time with my girlfriend with the family um i like to go to a restaurant in between the rallies i like to to spend some time in front of my coffee machine and <laughs> uh and and also the cycling is still a, a part of my life um and so these are the things that i really appreciate um but yeah, it's always the same story. If something is going well, then you are also enjoying the time that you are at work. So yeah. for me, actually, my work is also my chill time. And um, yeah, it's, it's how you look at it. So um, yeah, I'm, I'm just a happy man that I can do this. And uh, so, so actually, my job is also my, my hobby. It's my, 
my chill time, my off time, how we want to call it. But uh, yeah, it's like absolutely living the dream. So then maybe there is no need to 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 switch off because it's just so enjoyable. So uh, yeah, it's difficult to think about holidays. Maybe my my, my girlfriend is sometimes uh, upset about that uh, that we don't plan like like uh, two weeks of holiday, but. Yeah, for me, this is quite difficult to to plan when and where to go, and I'm I'm too much on it. Um, yeah, so, I see that. Yeah, you mentioned your coffee machine. I've seen images of it on Instagram. It's quite intimidating. I'm not sure I would know how to work that thing, to be honest. <laughs> you you are properly into your coffee, then. You're a man after my own heart. I like. Well, you've got the cappuccino in front of you right now. Um, yeah, I remember seeing it on Instagram. I'm going, oh my god. How, did, how the hell does that work? Good machine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it's, uh, it was a present uh, for myself after the victory in, in Ypres. Oh, uh, there we go. I, it was on my wish list for a long time. And then I said, look, if the first victory is coming, then uh, I will invest in, in this kind of things. <laughs> and uh, it's worth it because, yeah, it's, 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 yeah, it's uh, quite a, a little bit of a passion and I'm quite interested in, in these things. And uh, yeah, it's, it's just enjoyable to have a good coffee and not like the, like the cheap coffee, but like a really good coffee. I know, yeah. I know he's in a different team, but Yari Matty Latvala had his own coffee brand a couple of years ago. It was Yari Matty Coffee Beans. I don't know whether he's still got any, but we'll find out. Get you some beans. Ah. From ah, yeah, 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 yeah. You yeah, can, we, we, you can we use can a professional it. opinion then and see whether it's any yes. good or not. <laughs> yes, yes, exactly, exactly. <laughs> oh, Martin, it's been a real joy talking to you. I've loved your stories, and I, I love the fact that it's been, you know, a lot of it has been so last minute, but you've always been prepared for every single step of it because that's the kind of person you are. You are, it's not, you're not Mister Last Minute. You're Mister Prepared for any last minute possibilities um i can't wait to see what is going to happen in the future for you i'm sure it's all going to be great stuff um i look forward to seeing you in croatia next week yes uh the countdown has started since uh, the monday after sweden so uh <laughs> such a long time this, right this this break was was too long and uh and i'm i'm happy i will be in the routine again like uh going from the event to the testing back to the event back to testing and I like this non-stop, uh, non-stop uh, traveling and, and being occupied with, with the preparation because, yeah, it's giving me a good flow. So uh, I like this kind of working. Before I let you go, finally, and I, I think, to be honest, anyone who wants to be a co-driver listening to this knows exactly what to do now. But if you were to give a piece of advice to people out there who want to follow in your footsteps, because you've had a pretty you know, dream journey. There's been a lot of hard work there, but it's the stuff of dreams to go from 10 years to, to being on the, you know, the top step of a WRC podium. What advice would you give? Um, I'm very convinced that if you want something and you have a dream, uh, you definitely can achieve it. And uh, sometimes it, it looks unachievable, but you need to continue the work and, and, get out of the sofa and uh, stretch the legs and go somewhere and talk to people and make contacts and because all this kind of things helps and uh, the more you can show the potential you have 
um, the more you will have opportunities to to show it again, and the more you have the potential to uh, to get closer to your dreams. So um, yeah, it's all about hard work and and uh, and just go, just go. And uh, um, if you have to sacrifice a lot of things, do it because this is what I I did uh, since I was at school. I never went out. Um, I sacrificed everything no alcohol, don't go late to bed, just use all the time that you can um, to, uh, to prepare for, for your dream job. And uh, then for sure, the people will, will, see, will see this and they give you uh, the chance. So. Yeah. Brilliant advice, brilliant advice. Right, I will let you go now and get on with your preparations for next week and Rally Croatia, and I will get back to my preparations for next week. I can't wait Perfect. to be commentating again. It's been too long, too long without talking about it, which is why it's great to talk to you now. Thank you so much for letting us have so much of your time. And I will see you next week, Martin. Thank you very much. Thank you. See you soon. Bye-bye. Have a nice day. For more great World Rally Championship content, head to WRC+. With its thousands of hours of archive footage and exclusive live programming, event review shows and extensive onboards, Special features too on some of the legends of the sport. This is all available at wrcplus.com, the digital online home of the World Rally Championship.